Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there. This is Chandler O'Quinn coming to you from the recording and editing booth. Uh, there are a couple of announcements before we get into uh, this episode of History in Retrograde. Uh, number one, uh, this episode was meant to be published last Friday, on Black Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving, and we mentioned that a couple times in this episode, but uh, with all the merriment and the, uh, well, frankly, food coma that comes with Thanksgiving, uh, I was not able to actually get this out on the schedule that I had previously planned. So you are now listening to it a week later, if you are listening to it uh, the day that it is published. Uh, our second announcement concerns the birth date of this historical figure, our mystery history guest. Um, most scholars agree that he was born on the 22nd of May, uh, but uh, Jim Thorpe uh, did give an interview in the 1940s where he said that his birthday was the 20. 8th of May, uh, but we have not been able to find any other uh, confirming documents uh, for that date, and I think you'll see uh, with the findings in this episode that the 22nd makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, so uh, with all of that out of the way, we hope that you will enjoy uh, this episode of History and Retrograde uh, around the great athlete Jim Thorpe. Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live via satellite is my mom! Hi, Mom! Hi, Chandler! How are you? I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin <laughs> another grand experiment? Of course! I'm always ready to go on an adventure with you! Alright, let's give it a whirl! Let's give it a whirl. And for all of those people who are in America, um, we just had Thanksgiving yesterday. So I hope you are feeling really good and satiated and blessed. And for those who celebrate, what is it? Friendsgiving, Chandler? Yeah, we have that, Friendsgiving that now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So if you celebrate Friendsgiving, then I hope you also are very happy and content and feeling very blessed. Welcome to the show. 
yes, uh, welcome to everyone uh, all over this great country of ours, all over this wonderful world. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Um, if there are any of you who are coming to us for the first time, we especially would like to welcome you. The way that we do things here is that in a moment I will give the astrological birth data of a random historical figure to my mother. She will then input that data into the back computer, and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all of the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that that person was born. She will then do her best to give a blind reading of this chart, telling us what she can about the person's personality traits, the fortunes, the characteristics of this uh, historical figure. I will then reveal to her who our mystery history guest is, give a little background about the person, and then we'll come together at the end and figure out how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. And without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. This is a male... All right. Born on the 22nd. Ooh, uh-huh. Of May. <gasps> what? <laughs> I like that birthday. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. 1887. 1887. Uh-huh. Uh 6:30 a.m. <laughs> I love it when you have a time for me. Okay, and where in the world? Uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. And what town? And uh, they pronounce it Prague, but we would... It looks like Prague, Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Like that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> all right. So, first of all tidbit of information people who are born on the 22nd that is the most unique birth date in existence just so you know (laughs) so uh let's see what we're dealing with here oh my goodness um Wow. Okay. So you can see this, right, Chandler? Yeah, that's a heck of a 12th right. house. You also see this, right? Mm-hmm. You see this interception? Yeah. Okay. So do you know the term for this? A stellium? Yes, that's right. It's a stellium. That's very good. <laughs> Let me double check and see if we do have a stellium. Uh, Mars. We sure do. It's in Taurus. Very, very, very interesting. Whew. Quite. And look at this conjunct. Okay. So let's start with the fact that per this birth date for this person, we have Gemini rising at 19 degrees. So Chandler, only you and the audience at this point knows if that sounds right. Um, we'll go through the planets. 19 degrees, Gemini rising. Wow. Okay. Mm. Sun at one degree, Gemini. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Moon at 25 degrees, Taurus. Mercury at 24 degrees, Taurus. Venus at 10 degrees, Cancer. Mars at 24 degrees, Taurus. Jupiter at 27 degrees, Libra. Saturn at 19 degrees, Cancer. Uranus at 8 degrees Libra, Neptune at 27 degrees Taurus, 
Pluto at 3 degrees Gemini, North Node at 22 degrees Leo, Chiron at 22 degrees Gemini. Very, 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 very interesting. All right. So, wow. This person has a North Node in Leo in the third house. This person also has an interception. So this person has two Leo house cusps and two Aquarius house cusps and no Pisces house cusp and no Virgo house cusp because of the interception. And for those of you who are new, uh, interception is something that you can only find by using the house system like, like a Placidus house system. Um, so I find it very interesting. Um, all right. North node in Leo at 22 degrees. North node in Leo is going to give this person a life path of needing to be a leader. Okay. Um, also it should be like a good leader and they might be drawn to wanting to be part of the team because that's their south node. That's what they're familiar with. But your north node makes you go out of your comfort zone and be the leader. And this is leading in communication because it's third house. So that's very important to know. Starting with the first house cusp, uh, we have Chiron in Gemini at 22 degrees in their first house. So that tells me, because Chiron is the wounded healer, that this person had to overcome self-esteem issues. These issues could be from past lifetimes, if you believe in that, which you probably do if you believe in astrology. <laughs> and also, it could be from his childhood. It could be from an injury. Whatever it is, if this is the correct birth time and their Chiron is in their first house, they have issues with their appearance, needing their appearance to be, um, needing to feel confident in their appearance. All right. Now, what they also have in a way offsetting this is their Venus in Cancer. So having Venus in the first house should give you more comfort in your appearance because you have Venus there and Venus is ruled by, uh, Venus rules Libra and Taurus. And so there is something to offset that, but perhaps this person being in the presence of this person or um, interacting with this person can make you feel more self-confident because if they're doing what they're supposed to do with their Chiron, they deal with their issues and then they heal people from their self-knowledge of that. So that's a thing. Venus in Cancer is ooh, so, it should be very loving, very nurturing, um, very uh, almost like no bounds to the love. Um, cancer's ruled by the moon. The moon rules emotions. And this person has Venus 
the planet of how you love and what you love and the way you like to be loved in Cancer. So that seems very lovely and very nice. Um, offsetting that is this person's Saturn in the second house in Cancer at 19 degrees. So Saturn is not in the first house. So it is not um, directly affecting their self-esteem in that regard. But this person would have had lessons to learn and responsibilities and um, maybe even been able to teach uh, things that have to do with values and valuables and money and income. It is in cancer. So how this person, um, how this person maybe nurtures with their finances might've been a lesson. Maybe they needed to learn how to nurture. Maybe they needed to learn how to share, but they could have just been benevolent with it and then learn that lesson. So there's something about lessons with nurturing with money. Okay, then we come to the third house cusp, which is Leo, which would give this person an authoritative leadership, possibly dramatic way of expressing themselves. With North Node there, it tells me that there is some leadership or brightness and drama involved with this because it is, it's their purpose, it's what they're supposed to do bring light, maybe, through communication. It's about communication. This also represents siblings and childhood and sometimes vehicles and how you get around. I mean, maybe this person invented a vehicle. Maybe. Fourth house cusp is also Leo. So... This person doesn't have anything in their fourth house, but I can imagine that they were hmm, I would say inner in, you know entertaining they would entertain their home was a place of uh possibly gatherings and and uh entertaining and I'm sure that their home was elegant. It should have been elegant. They do have Virgo there. It just doesn't have a house cusp. So depending on what your views are on interceptions or not, it would have given him a, um, he would have liked his home to be nice and put together and, um, not a lot of clutter around maybe. I don't know if there's any reference to that, but there's that. Um, next house cusp is Libra on the fifth house. And this person has Uranus in Libra at eight degrees in that house. And they also have Jupiter in Libra at 27 degrees in that house. The fifth house is the house of, it's ruled by Leo. It's ruled by the sun. So fifth house rules uh, romance and children and hobbies and, and things that bring you joy. Um, entertainment, entertaining, um, 
all these kind of things. And this person has Uranus at eight degrees, conjunct by sign, not by degree, Jupiter. Uranus is out of the blue, uh, lightning type things that you're not expecting. And Jupiter is the benevolent. Do you have four helpings of that? Let me give you four more helpings of that. So somehow this person is dealing with unexpected good fortune, possibly. Best case scenario, super unexpected good fortune all the time because it's Jupiter and it's in Libra. And so it's pretty and beautiful. It could deal with balancing and law and maybe even government, but am I even close? Am I, <laughs> am I even describing anything right? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So this is a lot. Uranus conjunct Jupiter. Uranus basically conjunct anything is a lot. Okay. But because it's unexpected and you don't know, you don't see it coming. You just don't. Um, but I would imagine that this person somehow lucked his way out of a lot of fifth house things, which is maybe show business. I don't know. Uh, maybe like magician type level show business, possibly. Sixth house is Scorpio. He doesn't have any planets in that house, but his sixth house cusp being Scorpio would could give him a day-to-day -day that would be literally dealing with death and rebirth because it's Scorpio. Um, it could deal with six houses work. It's ruled by Virgo. It's ruled by Mercury. And um, so halfway through that house, it turns to Sagittarius because we're doing Placidus house system. Um, on one hand, this person I feel could have been very comfortable with taboo things because that's Scorpio. And then on the other hand, he's kind of adventurous. Like he wouldn't want his day to day to be monotonous. Mon mon what am I trying to say? Monotonous. Monotonous. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Let me get some more coffee. And, um, so yeah, he would like a little adventure in his day to day, I would think. So then we have seventh house cusp, which his seventh house is Sagittarius. Okay. His seventh house cusp is Sagittarius. So he's going to want a partner, partners that, that do kind of either have an adventurous side to them or that are willing to go on adventures with him. That's a seventh house Sag situation. Then uh also halfway through there you know we have it changes to capricorn so he might it and there's nothing in this because this person has all of their planets basically over here in the 12th house so there also could be a blend of partners that have inheritances or come with a dowry or something like that eighth house cusp is capricorn so again, nothing in this house, but 
I can only imagine that this person should have had some sort of financial legacy. Then we have the ninth house cusp is Aquarius. This is going to give this person a very open-minded regard to religion and spirituality and dogma and um, world travel and higher education. Um, it also could give this person a very um, absolute totalitarian view of these things. That would be the dark side of Aquarius. And I mean, usually it is the light side. Usually it's the open-minded side, but there's that. There's no planets there. Um, then, uh, 10th house cusp is also Aquarius. So this would, and his midhaven is right there on his midhaven is in Pisces, but, oh, pardon me. It is not. His midhaven is in Aquarius. It's a 28 degrees Aquarius. So he also has a unique career. His career is different, new, a new way of looking at a career. Um, maybe he's an inventor. Maybe he's like Leonardo da Vinci. Maybe, you know, he has this whole new, odd, it could even be odd way of dealing with his career. His 10th house has Pisces in it, most of it, but he would need access to this Pisces. And that would be very, very, very creative career. Okay. But he would also need access to this Virgo. So having Virgos and Pisces in his life for people who have those aspects in their chart, my opinion, my, my philosophy is that it opens up these avenues and puts those, activates those, you know, like they're, they're, um, they need to be activated, but that would have made this person very creative or also very spiritual in their career because Pisces is very spiritual. Uh, 11th house cusp is Aries. So 11th house is ruled by Aquarius. It's ruled by Uranus and it is groups of people. So somehow this person would have led groups of people. And they would have felt very comfortable with his leadership, even though there's nothing in that house. Now we get to the meat. <laughs> this is the meat and potatoes. Um, 12th house. And this person has, we'll just start with Mars at 24 degrees conjunct Mercury at 24 degrees conjunct Moon at 25 degrees, conjunct Neptune at 27 degrees. A stellium in Taurus, in the 12th house. Yeah, the, the, the graph can't even show you that they're <laughs> all on top of each other. Right. Because it has they... these spread out even into the, the Gemini portion on a yeah. visual representation. But right. they, are, they, they are literally on top of each other, stacked. Yeah. And that's the Taurus. 
So he has four planets, four pretty important planets. Well, I mean, all your planets are important, but when you have your Mars and your Mercury and your moon conjunct by degree in Taurus, that is significant. Okay. Then in this same 12th house, he has his sun at one degree and his Pluto at three degrees Gemini. So I can only imagine that this person is basically a freight train. And I can't think that this would be a person that could be stopped once they decided they were going to move forward on something. And I think it's... <laughs> 12th house for me is karma and spirituality and 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 abilities and psychic abilities and and spiritual things it also represents mm, institutions and being institutionalized uh but this person having pluto conjunct their sun must have been very powerful or very uh, or the or, or their life their life was filled with non-stop death and rebirth death and rebirth change 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 um they would have had the wherewithal to be an author a communicator um an orator uh, they would have been very, very stubborn. And you would not have wanted to try to stop them because you could like, I <laughs> see this like, <laughs> like Darby O'Gill and the little people, like they just keep throwing ropes around him and ropes around him and ropes around him. <laughs> There's thousands of little people trying to stop him and he just keeps moving forward, you know? So, um, and, and, and steep, in the goal or the and and going through you know rain snow sleet whatever to get to what it is and it is their direction because it's their mars conjunct their mercury so somehow their passion is is very well um communicated they are emotionally attached to it and they are creative with it because it's Neptune. And they have the ability and the skill to communicate what they're doing. They have North Node in the third house, which is communication. Then they have Sun conjunct Pluto conjunct Chiron in Gemini. So uh, this person, I don't, this person I feel could have convinced anyone of anything. So hopefully they were good. Hopefully they were a good person. Um, do you have any questions? Yeah. Uh, so before we get off of uh, the 12th house, you mentioned something about it representing institutions or mm -hmm. being institutionalized. Mm -hmm. uh, what would all of these planets, what would that have to do with um, that topic that you brought up? Well, these planets in Taurus 
dealing with institutions, because Taurus is earth, Taurus is money, could be banking institutions, you know, um, institutions, meaning educational institutions, hospitals, prisons, um, any kind of institution. Uh, but in Taurus is going to be earth things. And Taurus is usually commodities. It could be banking. Um, many of these things, but this person, if this birth time is correct, has karma with all of this and is dealing with all of this. I mean, I, I, I look at 12th house like, okay, well, this is what you're dealing with from your past life. And this is what he's dealing with. Or, and or, he wanted to make absolute sure when he was making his plan <laughs> to come into this lifetime that these are the things above all else that he would be dealing with. And then connect that to his north node. Okay? Because your direction is your Mars, how you go about obtaining your goals is your Mars. Um, your life's purpose is your North node. All right. So leadership, Leo in communication, third house. And then he has Pluto, great power as an orator, sun in Gemini, right? And then Mercury conjunct his Mars in Taurus. Like he's not this person should know what they're talking about and lead people because it's Mars. I mean, it's Aries on the 11th house cross with a creative flair. Very and lucky. So I don't think uh, this is going to spoil anything, but it is something that is um, interesting to me. Uh, mm -hmm. And I uh, really doesn't necessarily uh, break the rules of, of the game that we're playing. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, this person is a twin. Ooh. Uh, does that have any uh, role in the chart? Um, I, I wouldn't I don't know if it's minutes or hours between the births. But if we just assume that um, it's right around the same time, um, what role would that play? Well, this person has North Node in Leo in the third house, and third house is siblings. So I would say that somehow these two siblings, depending on what time, do you know if this is the oldest one or the youngest one? I do not know. Okay. So more than likely uh, at this time in the world, uh, they probably both did not come out at the same time. There probably was some time in between them, which would change things. But um, it could very well make them a partner with this person if the sibling survived, okay? Because we have Sun conjunct Pluto by degree. So if the sibling did not survive, that could also play into this Chiron in the first house of, you know, basically, you know, overshadowing them 
if the sibling did survive and they were uh, somehow connected in this way. And I don't even know if I know who this is. When you when you describe who it is, <laughs> I never know if I'm going to know who they are. Uh, what would you guess this person would do for a living? I think that this person... Um, hopefully this person, Saturn, in the second house... Uh, I, I gave him the wherewithal to hold on to all of the money he is capable of making. All right. Uh, you know, I want to go with show business, but like, I don't think this person is an actor. I think this person is a showman. For groups of people. And if not, then I think this person is like a Rothschild or something like that. That has to do with the banking industry, maybe. I don't know. Somehow this person is using drama and flair and communication and luck. It's almost like it's almost like the magician card. If you're familiar with the magician card in the tarot this person can somehow make things out of nothing and be very successful with it that this is all the light side now because the dark side would be full-on polar opposite of that you know but there's a lot to do with finances and stamina and karma with finances because here we have saturn which is karma in the second house of finances and then we have all of this taurus in the 12th house which is karma so there's that ha so that's that's my that's my hypothesis i i think that you're describing something that is um very accurate but it's just this isn't necessarily um, an aspect that you're very familiar with. Uh, oh, okay. So when it's all revealed, I think that it will all make perfect sense. But okay. it's it's uh, you're describing something that you can't, you don't necessarily even know what you're describing. No, I have no idea. I'm just reading the chart. So, but what I'm saying makes sense to you. I think so. Yeah. <gasps> okay. Cool. Well, do I even know this person? I think you've heard of this person before. Okay. Um, we'll see, but I, I, I think that you, you've heard of him. Okay. Um, uh, can you describe any of his physical attributes? Um, again, all of this, everything I'm saying is based on whether or not this is the correct birth time. And as you know, records were not kept at that time. Unless you, I, I guess, unless you were royalty, because royalty was going to have their chart done. You know what I mean? So considering that we're going with this time of birth. Um, oh, <laughs> what was the question again? Uh, physical attributes. Oh, physical attributes. Okay. Well, if this person has Gemini rising, they are going to be mercurial looking. All right. So, um, I, I always go with Gemini rising as kind of impish, like, uh, 
And that's why when we get to somebody that's like, they're not impish at all, then it's like, oh, well, maybe we have the wrong birth time, you know? But um, people with Gemini rising are going to be quick. They're going to talk fast. They're they're going to they're not going to miss a beat. You know, they're going to see everything. Same as if they had Virgo rising. Only Virgo rising, where Gemini rising is kind of more impish. I want to say that Virgo rising also has that same value to it, but the Gemini would be funnier, <laughs> I guess. And the Virgo would be more, um, I guess it would be like the difference between a pixie and a fairy, if that makes any sense at all, where does it, does that, does that make any sense? I think that might make sense to some of our audience. Uh, okay. It's a little bit lost on me. but uh. Oh, okay. All right. So um, I think Gemini's, you know, gem people with Gemini rising, uh, like people who have Aries rising always tend to have a large forehead. People with Gemini rising are going to be more, their, their features are going to be more... Um, Elvin, elvish, el elfish, more, um, I don't know. That's the best way I can describe it. They're mercurial. Mm -hmm. They're funny. Uh, what is his relationship to home and country and community? Well, he has Leo on his fourth house cusp. So... He should be very loyal to his home and his country. And with this North Node in Leo in the third house, he could be a leader of some sort in his community and his country. But if this is the correct birth time, he has an interception in his fourth house. So the Virgo that's here is missing. So if he doesn't have something to connect him to this, then he could possibly feel lost. What is his legacy? I think his legacy has something to do with money, if this birth time is correct. And mm, enterprise, uh, because he has Capricorn on his eighth house cut. So mm, low end of that could be some sort of education teaching, because... Saturn rules Capricorn, but people who have Capricorn on their eighth house cusp, uh, somehow money's involved with their legacy. Do you have any other final first impressions? I'm very interested because this is a very, very unique chart to me. And we read a lot of charts but if this birth time is correct, which I'll kind of know if I feel comfortable with that or not, when you start describing him and then um, I'll have a better idea. But um, I mean, as it stands right now, I would see this person as a real force to be reckoned with. And also with all of that stubborn tenacity somehow they're still kind of impish impish and nurturing 
That's what I got. Maybe they had all of that thrust on them. Maybe all of this responsibility, all of this Taurus was thrust onto them through their legacy. I don't know. I'll find out in a minute, I guess. <laughs> I think we're ready for a summary of our findings. Mm -hmm. The first thing you said is that uh, he needs to be a leader. Uh, he would be a good leader. Uh, he's drawn to be uh, on the team, uh, but his purpose is to be the leader of the team. Uh, he would be leading in communication. Uh, he might have to overcome uh, some injury to his self-esteem, uh, either something that happened in childhood or in a previous life. Mm -hmm. um, he is comfortable in his appearance. Uh, he... Uh, interacting with him makes you more self-confident. Mm -hmm. uh, he is loving, nurturing, has a boundless love. Mm -hmm. uh, lessons with values and valuables and money. And mm -hmm. he is nurturing with his money. Uh, there's a dramatic, authoritative way of expressing himself. Uh, he would bring light with him. Uh, he might have an elegant home, nice, put together. Uh, there's unexpected good fortune in his career. Uh, he has lucked out uh, with things like children, entertainment, and leadership. Uh, could be some sort of magician. Uh, he is comfortable with secret things, taboo things. Uh, he wants adventure in his day-to-day. -day. He is not one to suffer monotony. Uh, he wants an adventurous partner, someone to go on these adventures with him. Uh, might have a well-endowed partner. Uh, there is a financial legacy connected to him. He is open-minded to things like religion, spirituality, higher education, and travel, uh, but could possibly uh, need control, uh, have a totalitarian uh, way of thinking about all of these same things. Uh, there is a unique, new, innovative, different career, a creative career. Uh, he leads groups of people. He is like a freight train. He can't be stopped. Uh, there, he could be an author, a communicator, or an orator. Uh, he could be stubborn. Uh, you cannot stop him. Uh, his passion, uh, he is communicating his passion. He is very creative with his passion. He is also someone who's very convincing. Uh, there is karma with institutions. Uh, he knows what he is talking about and will lead people with a creative flair. Uh, hopefully he was able to hold on to all the money he was making. Uh, he... There's something to do with entertainment, but he's not an actor. He's a showman. Uh, there's drama, flair, communication, and luck. Uh, there's karma with money. Uh, he could be mercurial-looking, quick, funny. He is loyal to his home and country, a leader in his community. Uh, but he could also be lost in his home and in his country. Uh, there is a legacy with money and teaching. Uh, 
He is very unique, a force to be reckoned with, stubborn and impish. Uh, responsibility might be thrust upon him. Is there uh, anything that I've left out? <laughs> no, but that sure is a big old mismatch of a bunch of stuff. Would you like to know whose chart you've been looking at? I would. Well, this coming out on uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a day uh, uh, for uh, America's great pastime, football. Uh, and this is the astrological birth chart of a man who's been described as the greatest American athlete. At one time was known as the greatest athlete in the world. Mm. This is the birth chart of Jim Thorpe. Okay. Well, I do not know him. <laughs> uh, so Jim Thorpe, uh, he is uh, a Native American and uh, won uh, multiple gold medals as an Olympian. Uh, he played a professional football and baseball at the same time. Uh, he, uh, one of the fastest Americans, uh, held the record for many years, uh, and, uh, uh one of the great, uh, American athletes. Uh, so, uh, he was born on May 22nd, 1887, uh, in the Sac and Fox tribe, uh, in Indian Territory. Oklahoma is not, uh, a state yet. Uh, he is born on the reservation. Uh, he, uh, his mom, uh, when uh, giving birth to him uh, in the Second Fox tribe, you name the child after the first thing you see uh, when uh, you give birth. And uh, so we know that this happened in the morning because the first thing she saw was the dawn breaking in the darkness. And so she named him in the Second Fox language, uh, Watho Huck. Uh, which means bright path. Uh, mm. It also means um, a, a path lit by lightning. Uh, so, uh, and then uh, uh, the anglicized name, uh, he'd be given Jim, and his twin brother would be named Charlie. Mm -hmm. uh, so born to Hiram and Charlotte uh, Thorpe, uh, and they were both uh, of mixed race. So um, uh, some of them, uh, so Charlotte was of Sac and Fox, uh, Native American, uh, but she also had a French grandfather. And then uh, uh, Hiram Thorpe uh, was of Irish uh, descent and Native American descent. Hmm. Um, growing up in uh, Indian territory, uh, the one thing that could always be described of Jim Thorpe is that he was always running. Uh, he was always uh, 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 on the run. Uh, he, uh, his father would go to market, uh, take him in a horse and wagon, and Jim Thorpe would run uh, from the market and beat his father back home, uh, hmm. even though he was uh, in a vehicle. Uh, school was something that was uh, very difficult for him. Uh, he uh, didn't really uh, want to be in that. He had boundless energy. He didn't want to be in a, a in a schoolroom uh, mm -hmm. learning uh, facts and figures. Uh, Charlie, uh, his twin brother, was able to help him a little bit in school, but then Charlie passed away when he was nine years old. <gasps> um, and after that, uh, 
Jim Thorpe was so uh, rambunctious that uh, they didn't know what to do with him. And there were all these what they called Indian schools. Uh, so in Indian territory and in other places in the Midwest uh, that were set, as they said at the time, to civilize the savage, to try and um, get uh, these Native American customs out of these children to uh, breed this uh, completely... Um, uh, 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 new group of people that have adapted to the Anglo ways of life. Uh, and so the they would send him to these schools uh, in Indian territory, and he would run. He would run away and go back mm -hmm. home. And mm -hmm. so they just kept sending him to schools farther and farther away from home. They sent <laughs> no. him to a school in Kansas, and he ran from Kansas all the way back home. Uh, and then when he was a teen, uh, his mother passed away. And so the father, uh, not really knowing what to do, uh, sends him to the Carlisle School, which is in Pennsylvania, uh, mm -hmm. with the idea being that no one can run all the way from Pennsylvania back to Indian Territory. Mm -hmm. uh, so he goes to Car Carlisle, and Carlisle is known as the premier Indian school. Um, their motto is, kill the savage, save the man. Oh, uh, no. Get rid of all of the Native American customs. But <laughs> when these parents would give their children to the school, uh, they would plead with them, please do not cut their hair. These uh, are boys, uh, boys and men. It is a, a source of pride for Native Americans uh, to have their long hair. On the train rides to Carlisle, they would have their hair cut. Hmm. Um, Native Americans uh, talk about the Carlisle School as a dungeon. Uh, now, hmm. it had lots of nice facilities, um, but uh, these were facilities that were not to encourage the Native American way of life. They were to encourage the Anglo-American way of life. Oh. Um, and the Carlisle School is a mixed blessing for uh, uh Jim Thorpe. Um, on one hand, it is this place where they are trying to squash out every last bit of his culture. Um, but it also gives him a whole lot of opportunities that he wouldn't have had elsewhere. It is the nicest of these schools. And one of these uh, advantages that comes uh, from going to this school um, happens uh, in the field of athletics. So uh, he was just a kid who always liked to run. Uh, there was no uh, uh, organized athletics at any of the other schools that he had gone to. Uh, so he is going on his way home, uh, uh, or he's uh, walking around campus, and he sees in the field that there are all these uh, kids who are trying to uh, leap over the high jump. And the high jump uh, is set at five foot nine. And they can't break it. They, they just keep falling under it. Uh, and he's not wearing any athletic gear. He's wearing his overalls. Uh, and he just takes his shoes off for the first time, never high jumped in his life, completely clears it. Oh, my. And uh, the coach, uh, Pop Warner, saw this and said, not only do I need him on my track team, I need him on my football team. Uh, and so the next day, his athletic career began. Uh, and so he uh, continued uh, in, the, uh, in track and in football and in baseball and all these different sports. And he became known uh, as one of the, the premier athlete for the Carlisle School. 
Uh, and so this is happening from 1907 through to 1911. 1911 is really his breakout year. Uh, so uh, there are games that are played against major schools. There's a football game against Harvard uh, that the Carlisle group, uh, uh, the Carlisle um, school uh, uh, does very well in the game. And there's this big game against West Point. And this has a huge cultural impact because West Point is the U.S. Army school. We mm-hmm. are just 20 years removed from the times when the U.S. Army was actively fighting wars against the Native Americans. And now we have this Native American school up against the U.S. Army school. And so there's this big football game in 1911, and people are already talking about Jim Thorpe, that he is the star player. And football in the early 1900s, people think that football's rough today. It was Mm -hmm. really rough back then. It was Mm -hmm. anything goes. Um, uh, Elbows uh, go out and hurt the other guy. And um, there are two guys on the West Point team by the name of Dwight Eisenhower and Omar (gasps) Bradley. (laughs) And uh, they know that Jim Thorpe is the guy, that they have to get him out of the game. So they make a plan during the game to target him tackle him, hurt him, so that he uh, cannot continue to play the game so that West Point can win. Uh, They go after him in this play, and Jim Thorpe is so fast uh, that they end up, Eisenhower and Bradley end up hurting themselves trying to get him, (laughs) and they have to get out of the game. Oh, no! Uh, then in 1912, uh, there is uh, the Olympic Games in Stockholm, Sweden, which is really interesting that all this came together in this season, because this is the same Olympic Games that George Patton attended. Wow. Uh, so, uh, there were all, all these, uh, different categories, uh, of sport, uh, and there is, uh, lots of track, um, uh, uh, things, uh, in, in the Olympics, and there's the pentathlon and the decathlon. And uh, so there is a pentathlon tryout, and Jim Thorpe uh, um, does that. But the decathlon, the judges, accept Jim Thorpe on the team without even seeing him. Just wow. by reputation alone, they put him onto the decathlon team. Uh, so uh, the American team is on their way to Stockholm, and they uh, th- there's no airplanes to take you in 1912, so they're on a boat going to Sweden. And the coach of the track team uh, is um, trying to get everyone to practice, uh, stretch, limber up, get ready uh, for the games. And he would come to Jim Thorpe, and Jim Thorpe wouldn't be doing any of these things. Uh, he um, very rarely <laughs> practiced on the ship. And instead, he would be on the deck of the ship with his eyes closed, almost like he was sleeping. And the coach would say, what, what are you doing? We need to practice. And he, he'd say, I'm visualizing. I'm mm-hmm. visualizing myself winning the gold. I'm mm-hmm. visualizing myself in the race. Mm-hmm. And so that was it. That's what he was doing uh, on the ship on its way to Sweden. Uh, July of 1912, uh, he competes in the pentathlon. It is the first pentathlon that he's ever done in his entire life. Uh, he wins four out of the five categories. Uh, so the pentathlon is a, a, a series of athletic events. Uh, so there is the long jump, the javelin throw, 200-meter dash, discus throw, and 1,500-meter run. And uh, he gets four uh, out of five of those. Um, uh, 
and uh, then you have uh, the decathlon. So first off, he does all this. He is also competing in all these other track events, the long jump and the high jump. He's also playing uh, intramural uh, baseball. Uh, that's not even a real uh, category at the Olympics at this time. He's playing that the next day while all the yeah. other athletes are still uh, icing up for the next uh, competition. And then you have the decathlon. And this is the first time he's ever done a decathlon and the only time he ever did a decathlon. And uh, the morning of, he's looking for his cleats. He can't find them. They've either been lost or stolen, don't know, uh, but he goes into the trash bin and finds two shoes that do fit him, but they are of two different treads. So these cleats, they have these patterns on them, uh, and so they're two different patterns. So it's a very uneasy um, gait that he's going to have but it's the only option that he has. And wow. so he goes on to the decathlon. He is consistently in the top four in all 10 events. Uh, he wins uh, with 8,413 points. Uh, he set the record for points in a decathlon for the next 20 years. He won wow. eight out of the 10 events. Uh after everyone had seen this, uh, I mean, the huge arena and everything, uh, you get uh, to the gold medal ceremony. The king of Sweden presents him uh, with the gold medal um, uh, on the stand. And as he's doing it, he puts it over uh, his shoulders. And the king of Sweden says, you are the greatest athlete in all the world. And wow. uh, Jim Thorpe said, well, this is the story. We don't know if this is absolutely true but i like the story when the king of sweden is laying all these high praise on him jim thorpe says thanks king <laughs> i love it uh so um and just uh, to to uh fill out the the track record um the literal track records uh, that he held um they said that in the new york times and his obituary it says that he could run the 100 yard dash in 10 seconds 220 yards in 21 seconds 440 yards in 51 seconds 880 yards in a, in 1 minute and 57 uh and he could wow. long jump 23 feet 6 inches inches high jump six feet five inches pole vault 11 feet uh i mean the, the he could run a mile in four minutes and 35 seconds uh, he is uh, one of the fastest men ever recorded uh, so after the Olympics, he comes back home uh, to America to a hero's welcome, ticker tape parade in New York City. Uh, while there, uh, President of the United States Taft uh, has a ceremony for him uh, saying that he is one of the great American citizens. Um, but that's not true, because as a Native American in 1912, he's not an American citizen. He is a wow. ward of the government. Um <gasps> He's not allowed to vote. He's a fully grown man, but he's not allowed to vote uh, or practice anything of what a normal U.S. citizen would be able to do. Uh, the law that would make Native American citizens in the United States wouldn't be passed for a number of years later. Um, so this is a huge dichotomy that he has, that he's representing America on the world stage. But back home, he's not a complete American. He's not treated as one. Um then we have a few months later, there's a big scandal. Uh, in January of 1913, it is discovered that uh, by the press that Jim Thorpe had played professional sports before going to the Olympics. 
the Olympics at this time prided itself on having amateur sportsmen. You could not be paid to be an athlete. Right. Uh, that that would somehow cheat uh, the experience. Um, and Jim Thorpe, while he was at the Carlisle School, um, his football coach, Pop Warner, had arranged for him to go play minor league baseball games uh, in North Carolina <gasps> for two summers. Uh, a lot of the other players would change their names, uh, use aliases so that they did not um, uh, get caught in doing something wrong because they are now professional athletes. And then if they went back into school and played for school, then they're no longer eligible for that. Oh, Jim no. Thorpe didn't know he was doing anything wrong. And so he of used course. his name because his coach arranged everything for him. Um, and so he played in North Carolina for two seasons. He was paid $2 a game uh, for uh, these uh, baseball games. Uh, well, this is discovered in January of 1913 that he had been paid professionally. And the Olympic Committee uh, strips him of his medals. Uh, they uh, expunge the record to say that uh, those records no longer are held. Um, Jim Thorpe writes this letter. Pop Warner gets with him. First off, Pop Warner saves his own butt. He says uh, that he didn't even know that Jim Thorpe was uh, doing these minor league baseball games. When <gasps> he was the one who organized it all. Then oh. Pop Warner gets with Jim Thorpe to write this letter that is partly true, but it's clearly written by someone else and makes him look like he's uh, an imbecile. He says, I I'm just this poor Indian. I don't know anything, and uh, uh, I didn't know I was doing anything wrong, which is all true, but the way that it's written, it makes it look like he, he can't put uh, uh, two and two together. Um, so 1913 completely stripped of all of these great Olympic records. Uh, oh, no. uh, medals taken away, everything. Hmm. But the silver lining of all of it is, well, now the news is broken that he's he's on the market and he can mm -hmm. play professionally. So uh, baseball teams and football teams uh, a try and get him uh, to play for them. So in 1913, he gets picked up to play for the New York Giants on the baseball uh, team, but uh, they did not, uh, the coach really didn't uh, uh, want Jim Thorpe for his athletic ability as much as his potential drawing power to bring audiences to him. So he benched him for most of these games, at least in the first couple of seasons. Uh, so he's not actually being able to do the things that would, I would think, bring more people into the stadiums, but whatever, just by name recognition alone and just letting him sit on the bench. Um, so he's uh, uh, looking for something else to do, so he joins a professional football team. Uh, and so he joins the Canton Bulldogs. So he's on the Canton Bulldogs and the New York Giants at the same time. This is a feat that would not be truly replicated until the 1980s and 90s with Bo Jackson. Uh, and it was, an, it was a huge phenomenon when he did it. Uh, and this is just Jim Thorpe's regular life. So he uh, is on this professional baseball team, professional football team. Uh, while he's on the football team, uh, he uh, wins the championship. Uh, uh, the team does in 1916, 17, and 19. 
Uh, he uh, would get traded on the baseball sides of things and then come back to the Giants and then finish out his baseball career with the Boston Braves. Uh, then he continues on his football uh, career. Uh, in 1919, he wins one game uh, by uh, kicking a 95-yard punt clear oh across the football field. In 1920, the association that would later become the National Football League, the NFL, uh, formed. Uh, the Canton Bulldogs were part of that, and they made Jim Thorpe the first president of the NFL. Uh, and not only is he playing, he's coaching while he's playing. Uh, oh so God. he's also the coach of the team. Uh, he ends his uh, career, his football career, in 1929. He is age 41, uh, and he uh, uh, is living outside of Los Angeles. Um, so professional sports are certainly not the moneymaker uh, back then that they are today. Um, but even so, some people were making a lot of money, uh, but Jim Thorpe wasn't one of them. And there certainly wasn't any security involved, uh, no um, safety net. Uh, once you were done with these professional sports, you had to come up with your own retirement plan. Uh, and he has to do this in the 1930s during the Great Depression. So people talk about being on the streets of Los Angeles and seeing Jim Thorpe, one of the greatest American athletes, digging ditches, uh, wow. working on construction crews, working <gasps> as bouncers uh, for uh, local bars. Um, he's in Los Angeles, so he starts getting his way into uh, Hollywood, and he starts working as an extra for uh, a lot of these movies uh, mm -hmm. that are being filmed. And uh, while he's in Hollywood, I mean, the biggest genre being filmed at the time are westerns and westerns usually have a lot of indians in them um, but these indians were not played by indians they were played by white men who would put makeup on to make them look like they were indians and jim thorpe looked at this and thought that it was very wrong um, that you should have native americans in these roles to represent mm -hmm. themselves and not only that then he starts advocating for that and the studios say oh yeah, you know, that's a great idea because we can pay Indians cheaper than we could pay white guys. And so now oh. he's got the representation. Then he has a whole nother struggle to get Native Americans to be paid equally to white men for these stunts, for the acting, for all the work that they're doing in uh, all of these uh, movies. Um he also goes on a public speaking circuit, uh, trying to raise funds to get back to his, um, uh, to give back to uh, his community at the Sac and Fox uh, Reservation in Oklahoma. Um, and so uh, he uh, he does all these things, but it, nothing is truly a, a, a huge uh, success for him. Um, and uh, just to kind of cover some of his personal life, uh, he was married three times. In 1913, uh, he uh, married Iva and had four children with her. Uh, then uh, he got divorced because he was always traveling. Uh, mm -hmm. He was all over the place with all the football and baseball games. He was even in a professional basketball team for a little bit. Um, so he's doing all these things. He's not really home. The marriage falls apart. In 1926, he marries Frida, has another four kids oh so my. that's eight kids um they get a divorce in 1941 and in 45 he marries patricia 
And this is a large part of the legacy of what happens after he passes away. So uh, he passes away in 1953. He has a heart attack. Uh, at 65, he was uh, living in a trailer in Los Angeles. Mm. And uh, so now what do you do? Well, he wanted to go back to his people. He wanted his body to be at the Sac and Fox Reservation. Um, but Patricia realizes that she doesn't have a, a retirement plan of her own. Uh, so um, what what's the next step for her? Because she's going to be the keeper of his legacy. So he goes back. The body is taken back to Oklahoma. But in the meantime, she arranges to get the body back and put it back on a train. And she then starts looking for the highest bidder. Who wants to have the memorial to Jim Thorpe? Uh, the greatest American athlete. Uh, and she finds this town in Pennsylvania that is completely bankrupt, that he never visited in his whole life. Um, it is Mawchuck and East Mawchuck, Pennsylvania. They were they had fallen on bad financial times in the 50s, and she convinces them to come together as one town and rename themselves Jim Thorpe. And yeah. so they are Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, and they have a monument built to him, and everything in the town is named after him. Jim Thorpe Bank, Jim Thorpe Stadium, Jim Thorpe School, um, but he never lived there. Um, it, it's not a part of his story. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a huge part of what happens from the 50s to the present day. Um, if you can get the body uh, disinterred and brought to where he wanted it in Oklahoma. Um, and that's something that the family has been uh, working on for 70 years. There's also the fight uh, for the medals. Uh, so one of his daughters becomes a Native American activist. It's actually involved in the takeover of Alcatraz in the late 60s and the wow. uh, whole American Indian movement. And in the 80s, she really uh, and the whole family works on the Olympic Committee to um, right this wrong, especially because as you get into the 80s and 90s, professional athletes are playing in the Olympics. Uh, by 92, you have the Dream Team. You have Michael Jordan, uh, who is uh, now an Olympian. So these are no longer amateurs. This standard has gone away. We should return these medals to Jim Thorpe and the family. Uh, in the 80s, the Olympic Committee has this kind of compromise. They make reproduction gold medals, and they distribute them to the family, and say that Jim Thorpe is now the um, the co-winner, uh, along with the second-place runners uh, for these different events that he outright won in 1912. But because of the weirdness of amateur uh, professional stuff, the Olympic Committee wanted to keep it to where there's some punishment here uh, and that his record still did not stand. Wow. Um, th then just two years ago, the Olympic Committee finally restored all of the records, restored the medals, restored everything to where now, whenever anyone looks at the 1912 record, it officially says that Jim Thorpe won these things outright. Um, uh, this is um, 
a, a, a huge uh, victory for uh, the legacy of Jim Thorpe. And uh, Jim Thorpe is, is a, a huge part of American athletic history, American sports history. I mean, the first president of the NFL, um, a Native American in 1920-whatever. I mean, this is um, so much to uh, Native American uh, culture and rights, um, a, a hero uh, for everyone uh, and, and one of the fastest people um uh, in the world a, a truly amazing athlete and i think that there are a lot of things that um bear out in uh the chart that we've looked at uh i i one of the things you literally said he brings light with him and uh yeah. he, his name is bright path his name yeah. is path lit by lightning um, wow. And, you know, you're talking about that it's entertainment that is combining uh, luck uh, and entertainment and showmanship. Mm -hmm. That's sports. That's what sports are. Yeah, that's true. And uh, I, when you talk about Mercury, Mercury is quickness. It's fast. Yeah. He's I one was going to say that. Men alive. Yeah. Yeah. It, a lot of times when we do the charts, I literally bypass the thing that is the most obvious, you know, because it's like, well, it can't be that. That's too obvious. But um, Mercury, <laughs> hello, um, he is Gemini rising and Gemini people with Gemini rising are fast. Um, he just happens to be physically Taurus fast, physically, right? So it's very interesting. All of these things, including, you know, his partner, his wife, making his legacy happen. You know, that's very business. That's very Capricorn, uh, very earthy. Um, so many of these things play out. They just play out more in, in uh, the literal sense, which is so surprising, you know, very, very interesting. And uh fascinating yeah uh, i i think on our scale of right on the money to way out in outer space this is this is right on the money this is a lot of who jim thorpe was yeah i just kept putting it into the money where it's the institution it's the institution of the and, sport it's and, an unstoppable unstoppable you cannot stop him right? right and he's so fast and wow that's just a lot that 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 is um, very interesting. And I guess, I mean, is this our first athlete? No, we've had Ali. You've had a few. <gasps> True. Now, but Ali, when I, when I did Ali, I did, his was a lot about, uh, communication and stuff like that. And also being unstoppable. But this particular thing is, is, uh, something that I'm going to remember. If you have somebody who has this many planets in Taurus, they may very well, because normally you look at Aries as the athlete, you know, but that's not true. Taurus is also unstoppable, you know? So yeah. Wow. Very, very interesting. Uh, there's a lot of things about this that make me sad that, that humanity is what it is, but you know, it played out. I mean, he, he, he did absolutely work out whatever karma this was. Right. And, and karma with institutions, mm -hmm. the, the Carlisle school is an institution institutionalized. Right. It is, um, uh, uh, 
I mean, and it's both. It is this bitter part of his life because mm-hmm. the, of what the aim of the school was to do, but it also provided him all the opportunities to make him this huge sports star and then yeah. could then repay that back to his community in Oklahoma Absolutely. and to his people. So, it, it, I mean, that's the definition of karma, the, the, the oh, these yeah. things that you have to work out in mm-hmm. order to get to where you need to be. Yes, absolutely. But fast. I mean, Mercurial, I mean, the messenger to the gods because he was so fast, you know, so it does make absolute sense. Very cool, Chandler. I like it. Uh, Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, If you'd like to support the show, we have all sorts of links provided in the show description, Uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, that's all there. Uh, We uh, have a link to our YouTube channel. Uh, There are videos uh, from our first season that are posted up on there. So if you'd like to uh, try and follow along uh, with the chart uh, as Mom uh, describes these things, um, you can look there. And uh, please subscribe uh, to the Facebook channel, like those videos, that all helps us. Uh, Also, if you would like to uh, uh, support us uh, in a different way, we have our uh, PayPal account. The link is provided there. Every little bit helps us in providing a better quality show and expanding our audience. Uh, We also have a link provided uh, if you would like to have your own chart read or a chart of a loved one. um, We can make that happen for you. Uh, Just email Chandler's mom at historyandretrograde.com and she can get with you about all the details on how to make that happen. Absolutely. And you can reach any place that we are located online by just going to the website www.historyandretrograde.com. You can reach me. And you can get to the YouTube channel. You can get to all the podcasts, which are free to listen to. And um, for right now, since we are officially into the holiday season as of today, um, you can contact me if you want to give a gift certificate to someone that you care for and who might, who you think might want their chart done. I am also booking my calendar for December. I am lucky enough to have several uh, clients that I work with every month and I would love for you to be on my calendar and I would love to meet you and work with you. So please let me know. And um, what else Chandler? Uh, I think that's it. Uh, As always, in conclusion, uh, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine. Everything's going to be just fine. We're so thankful for all of you. We feel very blessed. And everything's going to be just fine. We love you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
Salisle Creek Studios.